Welcome back to another episode with your boy. This is Quick Hits. And for those tuning in for the first time, I am your host, Jay and or J-Man. Alright, first off, I want to start out by shouting out the women. Fresh off the women's final four in college basketball, literally hours removed from it. And uh, first, I'd like to shout out Caitlin Clark as she put on a show all tournament and basically all season. Um, white girl definitely got game, a, a triple-double machine, can pull it from half court. You know what I'm saying? Um, they say that Larry Bird daughter. <laughs> but uh, I want to also shout out them LSU girls as they took down Clark's Iowa Hawkeyes 102 to 85. And uh, scoring 100 points in a college game is crazy, especially in a women's game. Yeah, the LSU girls, yeah, they definitely um, put on letting the folks in the world know that uh, we're a little different down here in the Sizzle. You know what I'm saying? Now on to the fellas in the professional level. And as y'all may know, and for those who don't, the playoffs is right around the corner. Well, actually, the play-in. And uh, we definitely going to speak about that along with some other topics, you know what I'm saying, like end-of-season NBA awards. And like last time, I'm going to tell y'all who I think the top teams of each conference are um, before we get into the play-in tournament and all that. And uh, as a matter of fact, uh, I think I think that's where I'm going to go, and I'm going to head off into that right quick, right fast. So the past couple episodes – uh, I gave y'all my fire four out of each conference. But uh, this time, I think I'm going to do stuff a tad bit different this time. Because uh, eight total teams at this point of the season, as we come into the end of the season, ain't really going to cut it. So, I'm going to chop ahead off each conference and come on with my big three instead. Uh-huh. So, I'm going to start out in the West tonight. And y'all know how I like to do things in reverse order. So the number three team in the West. Number three. I have right now, since the last time I hollered at y'all, is the Memphis Grizzlies. Reason I got them boys at three is because they've been playing some of the best basketball in the league over the past couple of weeks. And uh, they turn you over on the defensive end a lot, um, which turns into transition opportunities. Uh, which Memphis is, uh, it, it, they they one of the best, if not the best teams in the NBA in transition, especially with Ja back in the fold. And uh, but uh, however, uh, this team sits at three on my list um, because they are flawed. You know what I'm saying? Fresh off me viewing this game today, and I mean fresh off. Uh, they lost 107-128 against the Bulls earlier. Um, I saw that they struggled without Jaron Jackson in the game uh, in the half court, which is another problem within itself because uh, Tripp is always in foul trouble every time I look up at a game. You know what I'm saying? Uh, he got to stay on the court. He always somewhere around four to five to six fouls, even fouling out. So, um, that's, that's huge uh, because – you know what I'm saying? He they best defender by far and a defensive player of the year candidate. And even though uh 
It is unorthodox. He really is their only three-level scorer, and that's no disrespect to Josh Gain. Uh, if anybody who know me, that is, Jai is my favorite player, so that's no knock on him. That's just how good I believe Jaron Jackson Jr. is and how valuable he is to the Grizzlies. But uh, if Memphis, uh, you know what I'm saying, can get you playing at their up-and-down pace, then then good night. You know what I'm saying? They can stay out of half court, good night. And that leads me to my number two team in the Western Conference right now, which is number two, the Sacramento Kings. Now, I went back and forth with uh, my number two and number three teams on the list. And uh, here's why I essentially uh, put the Kings at two. Their half court execution is pretty much flawless. And you know what I'm saying? They've been deemed one of the most historic offenses in the league. Um, you know what I'm saying? Historically, by all the advanced analytics, an- excuse me, analytics, which I usually don't care much about. Um, but that shit kind of matching what I've been seeing when I watch them, so I can definitely go for it. Crazy thing is, though, uh, the offense is real simple. It's just really kind of a lot of dribble handoffs that turn into pick and rolls, and pick and rolls that turn into dribble handoffs. You know what I'm saying? Of course, they got. Stuff that they use, you know what I'm saying, off-ball screens and to get shooters open and stuff like that. But uh, the uh, dribble handoffs and pick and roll is pretty much they uh, bread and butter from what I watch. And uh, well, the questions come in with them is on the defensive end, in particular on the inside. Uh, teams seem to be able to score rather easily on them in the paint. Um, but as long as that fourth fourth quarter killer. Uh, the new Mr. Fourth Quarter and De'Aaron Fox continue to do what he's been doing as he's been leading the league in fourth quarter scoring. I think they may surprise some folks in the playoffs. So definitely uh, watch out for the Kings. Number one. Right now, as it stands today, at the top of the mountain of my big three in the West, it's my number one team in the Phoenix Suns. A Phoenix Suns team with the healthy Kevin Durant that is as they are 6-0 whenever he's suited up. The way the addition of KD makes the game easier for everyone is pretty much scary, and it's scary for a lot of people in the West. You know what I'm saying? Along with CP3 pulling strings uh, and being the maestro that he has always been throughout his career, you know what I'm saying? Aiden get to get more easy buckets. Uh, then when Book gets going, because the defense might be, you know what I'm saying, a little bit more focused on KD, the game then becomes, you know what I'm saying, more easier for KD. Um, my only concern with them is on the defensive end. Uh, it sounds like a, a familiar trend a little bit, don't it? But, uh, yeah, and it ain't even more so the problem the other team have. And I feel uh, as if they stay healthy uh, with more reps with about five games left in the season and more practices, and then with the small pause with the play-in game, they should get better with that. You know what I'm saying? And hopefully they uh continue to get better on that end of the court uh, as they, you know what I'm saying, get more continuity with each other. And then uh, I hate bringing it, bringing it up uh, as far as it comes with the injuries, but it would be malpractice if I didn't mention the health concerns, especially from the core group. You know what I'm saying? So I am, you know what I'm saying, praying to God that we can, that y'all can stay healthy and we can see a full Phoenix Suns team throughout the playoffs. Um, but, if all things are smooth and even, 
You know what I'm saying? I think the Suns are the best team is the in the West, you know what I'm saying, as it stands today. So, yeah, that gives you uh, the Suns at one, Kings at two, and then the Grizzlies at three. And that's who made the cut for my big three in the West. So, let's see who made it in the East, shall we? Number three. Three is the Boston Celtics. Reason I got the Celtics at three is, of course, their dynamic duo, uh, uh, Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown first, um, who on any given night can give you a 40-piece apiece. Then you surround that with great shooting and playmaking with players like Malcolm Brogdon, you know what I'm saying, Derek White. Then you add on with the fact that um, we like to look at the Celtics as if they're a young team, but in reality, uh, them boys not young no more. They done actually been through it, you know what I'm saying, getting to the Eastern Conference Finals multiple times and then getting to the finals as they did last year for the first time. Uh, now, what I don't trust about them uh, right now, and that is to be determined, is their head coach. Uh, it's like when I watch the Celtics from this year compared to the team from last year, it seemed like it's just a little something missing. And um, maybe I'm tripping a little bit with this one, but but I don't I don't think they have the same fear, uh, at least on the defensive end that they had when um, when Eme was there last year. And uh, don't get me wrong, though, uh, Joe Mazzula uh, has been doing an excellent job. You know what I'm saying to have his team in second in the East and having to step in for Eme Doka like he had to. And this team still does have a really good defense, though. But it just feel like, you know what I'm saying, a little different, like something missing. But uh, the Celtics uh, are truly one of the best teams in basketball, despite all of that. Number two. After the Celtics, I got the Philadelphia 76ers as my second best team in the East, as they sit at number two on my list. Philadelphia arguably has the best player in the league right now in Joel Embiid and the best table setter in the league right now in James Harden. You know what I'm saying? Harden simply just leads the league in assists per game while Embiid just simply leads the league in points per game. Hmm. Wonder why. Correlation? Maybe. Anyway, uh, I feel like Philly is uh, very solid on the defensive end of the floor. You know what I'm saying? Uh, a couple issues I got with Philly is that um, they're not really a good transition team, um, defensive transition or offensive transition. And uh, Tyrese Maxey is pretty much uh, his own fast break, and he is about the only fast break they got, period. Um, also, uh, Philly has tried to address their depth, um, but they're still not as deep as some of the other teams in the league. And I feel like what sets them apart, though, from everybody else uh, is the fact that they are uh, one of the best free throw sh shooting teams in the league. Uh, so if you do foul them, you will pay for it. And uh, also, man, they just got a seven-foot monster in um, Joel Embiid that you can just feed the pill to and make everybody else get out of his way. So, yeah. <laughs> Number one. The best team in the East, I feel like, in my humble opinion, it's the Milwaukee Bucks. The Bucks have been and continue to be one of the best defensive teams over the years in the NBA. You know what I'm saying? They rebound well, especially from the guard position. Uh, they have so many guys that can guard multiple positions as well. 
And they got a defensive player of the year candidate in Brooke Lopez, who can also stretch it out and hit the three-pointer. And then they could take advantage in the post if you put a smile on them. Uh, they have a veteran team that has pretty much uh, been there and done that as they have a core that is one to chip together in Brooke Lopez, Chris Middleton, Drew Holiday, Giannis. Uh, my only gripe with them is uh, that they don't really have a young spark player, not one in the starting lineup, not one on the bench. And I feel like for them in particular, that could be the one thing that can make them pretty much unstoppable, uh, especially in the East. It just hit a little different um, when you when you got that that home crowd and you got that type of that young energy. Uh, you know what I'm saying? When he come in and he he gets get stuff going, it's just a different energy that just go over the crowd when it's a younger spark player type of guy doing it. But you know what I'm saying? But outside of that, um, I think the East um, start and may damn well stop with the Milwaukee Bucks. Okay, cool. As I promised y'all earlier, we're going to go ahead and make this smooth transition into the NBA Awards. You know what I'm saying? I have always pride myself on naming my own winners of in-the-season awards like Coach of the Year, Sixth Man of the Year, et cetera, et cetera. Almost every year, you know what I'm saying, I would tweet out who I believe should be the winner of such and such award. And uh, with quick hits, uh, y'all get to hear it straight from the source himself. So we're going to call this segment the NBA Quick Awards. And we're going to pop this thing off with the Most Improved Player Award. See, this year, the Most Improved Player, um, that award was Lord Marketing's to lose all the way up to the point to where about two or three weeks ago, for whatever reason, and I don't know what the Jazz got going on, but uh, a lot of their key players um, ended up on the injured list to end the important stretch of the season in which they could have been trying to make a play-in spot. Uh, but that's neither here nor there. Uh, because my most improved player this year was Trey Murphy the third. You know what I'm saying? As his minutes per game from last year went up from about 14 in the game to a little bit over 30. Uh, I guess it was only right that his points per game um went up by damn near nine points a game from 5.4 to uh 14 even. Then along with the fact that uh, last year he was pretty much just a 3 and D guy and he has now turned himself into a real offensive threat, you know what I'm saying, as he can put the ball on the floor, attack closeouts, and finish at the rim. Not to mention uh, he also up an already good 38% shoot in front of three-point line last year to a hell of 40%. So, yeah, I think Trey Murphy is definitely deserving of the NBA Quick Awards Most Improved Player Award. Second Quick Award I want to hand out is the Sixth Man of the Year Award, which I think is a done deal. Uh, That award belongs to a guy uh, who comes off the bench and gives you, you know what I'm saying, 14 a game in Malcolm Brogdon. But see, it ain't just about the 14 a game he give you. Uh, He coming off the bench shooting the crazy 44% from three uh, which is top five in the league right now as I speak to y'all. Um, then 
he come off the bench and kick it with the starters in the game like nothing happened. You know what I'm saying? Like, like I'm a starter in this thing too. You know what I'm saying? He a good defensive guy while he out there. And uh, like a lot of bench player, um, Brogdon is going to finish most games. So that's definitely why I think he's deserving of that sixth man of the year award. Anybody who knows me knows I put pride in the defensive end of the floor. So I'm very proud to announce the NBA Quick Award for Defensive Player of the Year. I had to go ahead and give it to Brooke Lopez, uh, but it was tough between him and Jaron Jackson Jr. Reason Brooke took the slight edge over Tripp is because Brooke actually stays in the game a little bit more than Tripp and out of foul trouble. You know what I'm saying? I watched Lopez night in and night out alter shots and deter players from even coming into the lane. Now, three blocks a game is crazy, but if you take into the account that two and a half blocks per game is crazy, and I'm really in foul trouble like three, like the three blocks per game player, then my value at the defensive end of the floor just weighs a little more than the player that's always in foul trouble. So again, that's why I had to go ahead and, and tip the nod to Brooke Lopez. So congratulations on that. This next award should not be debated at any point by anyone who has been tuned in to basketball. And uh, that is Coach of the Year. And uh, if you don't have Mike Brown as your Coach of the Year, (laughs) then what the hell are you doing? Uh, Absolutely no one had the Kings in the play-in, let alone the playoffs, let alone the third seed in the West. He turned the team around from 30-52, and I believe that was their record to a team that that, that now looks like they're on their way to 50 wins. Uh, he brought a sense of winning culture from the places he's been in um, early in his career with Cleveland and LeBron. He also been an assistant with the Warriors. And uh, you can feel uh, his handprint on a lot of stuff that goes on through the course of games and the stuff that's transpired throughout the season. I feel like Mike Brown personally has me excited to see what the Kings – could come to look like in late April. So, yeah, he's definitely deserving a coach of the year. And uh, this next NBA Quick Award is the most prestigious award we have here at Quick Hits, which is the NBA MVP. But, unfortunately, we won't be giving out this award this this episode. (laughs) What? Have you you not been watching? (laughs) It's literally one of the closest MVP award races in league history. And y'all want me to pull a winner out my ass just for content for this episode? Nope. Not going to do it. That'd be irresponsible of me. You know what I'm saying? Both Jokic and Embiid are playing out of their freaking minds. And unfortunately, uh, this may not be decided until the last day of the regular season. Sorry. Uh, but but never fear, I will have that for y'all next time we speak uh, and, and well before the NBA introduces the actual winner. So y'all stick with me. I got y'all. Y'all know I got y'all. Don't do me like that. But until then, let's talk some play-in tournaments, shall we? So for those who don't know, the play-in tournament decides who the seven to eight seeds are in each conference. 
The teams with the seventh highest and eighth highest winning percentages in each conference will uh, each have an opportunity. Will t- we each have two opportunities to win one game to earn a playoff spot. The teams with the ninth highest and tenth highest winning percentages, basically ninth and tenth seed in each conference, will each have to win two consecutive games to earn a playoff spot. Now, the team with the seventh highest winning percentages, seven seed, that is, in its conference will host a team with the eighth seed. The winning team will be the seventh seed in the NBA playoffs for its conference. The losing team will still have a chance to earn the eighth seed in the NBA playoffs for its conference. The team with the ninth highest winning percentage in its conference will host the team with the tenth highest winning percentages in the same conference. The winning team will remain in contention to earn the eighth seed in the NBA playoffs for its conference, and the losing team will be eliminated. So those are the playing tournament rules. I kind of read them to y'all so y'all can so y'all can kind of understand it. Like I get it in my brain, but I can't never really articulate it well enough so others can understand it. So basically, end of the day, uh, seventh, eighth, ninth, tenth plan basically to try to get the seventh and eighth seed in simpler terms. Um, but as I take a peek at the East, seed seven through ten. Uh, stand respectively as the Heat, Hawks, Raptors, and Bulls. Uh, the the East is pretty much set of what teams are going to get into play in. Only thing we waiting on really is seeding in there. Uh, I feel like the Raptors may jump ahead of the Hawks and come into the play in as the eighth seed, and that's about it. While the Hawks go down to the ninth, uh, without telling without really telling you how it's going to go and how it's going to happen and all that good stuff, you know what I'm saying? I'm just going to simply um, declare the last two in the playoffs with no particular uh, order for me for seeding. And I got uh, the Miami Heat and Toronto Raptors. You know what I'm saying? I ain't been against Jimmy Butler and Eric Spoke, um not to make the playoffs. Man. And, and it's something about the Raptors that I've liked since the beginning of the season. But for some reason, they ain't been able to put it all the way together. But, uh, yeah, I got basically the last two teams getting in um, the East uh, as the Heat and the Toronto Raptors. Now, in the West, the playing is a lot stickier than it is in the East, I will admit. So I'm going to kick it to you like this. Any team from the fifth seed, as the West stands today, could either miss the playoffs or don't even have to worry about the play-in and have a secure spot within the first six seeds. See, as it stands now, as we speak, the play-in teams would be the Lakers, Pelicans, Timberwolves, and Thunder, respectively. Now, how your boy Jay see it playing out, I see the Lakers and Thunder staying where they are and the Timberwolves moving up to eight and the Pelicans actually moving down to nine. And to get down to the nitty-gritty and to be quite honest with y'all, I actually had the Timberwolves and Thunder making the play-in and leaving my Lakers out. But after seeing how the Thunder looked, against the Suns and then how the Lakers dominated the uh, the Rockets literally like three three or four hours ago. I feel like the Lakers going to get in and, and, and the Thunder won't get in. And that's unfortunate for them with the season that they have and the surprise that they've been in the emergence of SGA into an all-NBA player. And I hope that the voters 
Uh, I don't know when all NBA is the votes are submitted, but I hope the voters don't like hold it against SGA that he, you know what I'm saying, that his team missed the play in or potentially missed the play in if they do. That'll be real unfortunate for them. But uh, after that play in tournament that the kids play in, y'all know where the where the big dogs rumble at, and, and that's the real deal playoffs. But uh, unfortunately, I won't be giving y'all any winners or anything this episode, but I will have a back at y'all as soon as the play-in tournament is set. And then maybe, just maybe, I can get in a little bit more detail about the playoffs, you know what I'm saying, the NBA team designation. You know, first team, all-NBA, second team, all-defense, blase, blase. Um, But until then, I do want to thank y'all for tuning in to another episode of Quick Hits. Y'all could have been anywhere in the world right now, but you stayed with me, and you know that's always appreciated. Download This Bad Boy on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Until next time, good people, peace. Peace.